Well, in this series that we're doing, uh, we've, we've entitled it Fake News, and it has nothing to do with politics, but it has everything to do with countering some of the biggest misconceptions that the world have and even has and even some Christians have related to the Christian faith. So just walking through where we've gone so far, some of the misconceptions we've addressed on the first week, Pastor Keith talked about the misconception that Christians are supposed to judge not. And really, the scripture that that comes from, Jesus is saying it's actually can be a helpful thing to, to bring loving, godly judgment into each other's lives among the body of Christ. Yesterday, I had a splinter in this finger. Actually, I can, it's still sore right here. This is my right hand. I couldn't get it out for myself, so I took it to Diana. I said, can you please remove this splinter? I couldn't do it myself. And that's the context of the judge not verse. Jesus is saying, if you've got an issue in your life and you need Christians to help you get it out, do that for each other. It's a loving service to each other. But if you've got a speck of sawdust, if you see a friend with a speck of sawdust in their eye, but you've got a big two by four sticking out of yours, you don't be the one to bring that correction into their life because it's hypocritical. So really the misconception is judge not. The truth is judge not hypocritically. The second week, Pastor Derek addressed the misconception that the height of love is just acceptance. You accept people as they are, you expect nothing from them, and that is the height of biblical love. But really through the life of Jesus and through the word of God, we see that he does accept us exactly as we are, but he doesn't just leave us there. He invites us into a a lifelong journey of transformation, of becoming more and more and more the person he has made and created and is calling us to be. So love doesn't just accept, love accepts and transforms. Last week, Pastor Kelly talked about uh, the misconception that in Christianity, there's no more suffering. Well, that's directly opposed in the Bible. In fact, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so Pastor Kelly clarified for us that it's not that we won't have suffering, but it's that we will have the incarnate, present God with us in the midst of our suffering, that we don't endure trials and problems in vain. And we have the almighty God of the universe standing by our side, supporting us, carrying us through it. And so God is with us through the suffering. Two weeks ago, Pastor Mike talked about the misconception that when we do bad, when we sin as Christians, that it's the devil who made us do it. We're not in control. We're not responsible. It's all him. And uh, I gave this one three hashtags. Um, The devil's a liar. He's a master at suggestions. So the devil suggests you do it. He's a master tempter. But ultimately, it's, it's us and our desires. We're the ones who ultimately make the choice to commit a sin or not. So it's my desires that made me do it is the truth. And today we go on to our next misconception that, that I'll address, and I'll introduce that in just a moment. But all this talking about misconceptions and kind of correcting wrong, wrong thinking um, in the minds of the world and Christians uh, gives us opportunity to, think of, to talk about something very important this morning. And uh, I think once you see these, you'll know exactly what I mean. They are embarrassing church signs. Can we go ahead and throw the first one up there? Forbidden fruits create many jams. Classic. What's the next one? Seven days without prayer makes one weak. Awesome. Here's a a great one. What's missing from church? You are. Of course, we've all seen this one. I like this one. Don't let the worries kill you. Let the church help. Um... This church chose to remain anonymous by blurring out their sign, but do you know what hell is like? Come this Sunday and hear our preacher. Hopefully you won't walk out of here today with that on your minds. Or we could listen to the Reverend Dr. Tony Larson's uh, sermon entitled, Get Behind Me, Satin. And this one made me audibly groan when I found it this week. Can't take the heat outside. This church is... 
Oh, prayer conditions. See, our friends, our loved ones, our coworkers, they're driving by these church signs every day, and they know we're Christians. And so even if they know we don't go to these churches, they some, make some association to us and these signs, right? And so these are silly, these are funny, they're kind of embarrassing, honestly. But in this series, we've been talking about what are the serious misconceptions? What are the things that think people in the world think about Christianity that aren't true, or they're only half or partially true? And these same forms of thinking can actually infect us as believers, and we can begin to think that they're true as well. And the one I want to talk about today is entitled, um, or the misconception is, that we are just sinners saved by grace. You may have heard that expression before, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And really today's message flows out of um, the message I brought in this series last month. Four weeks ago, uh, we addressed the misconception that um, Christians are just waiting on heaven. That we walk an aisle, we pray a prayer, we confess our sin, we, we get saved, and then that's kind of it. And the rest of our lives is just sitting around waiting for Jesus to return or for us to die and go to heaven. And so today's message is kind of a continuation of that because all those things, those do happen, and that is the start of the Christian life, but it's just the start. And the misconception that we addressed during the Waiting on Heaven sermon was some people think that's the finish line. You walk the aisle, you pray the prayer, you confess the sin, and that's it. That's all the Christian life is, and then you're just waiting on heaven. But Jesus described that moment in John chapter 3 as being born again. So he used the metaphor of a newborn baby to describe that that's just the starting point. That's not the finish line for the Christian life. That's just the starting point. So if you think about a newborn baby, being born isn't the finish line of human existence. You know, you're like, hey, I was born. That's it. You know, I made it. I reached it. No, this baby's entire life is ahead of her. She has her whole life ahead of her. When we are born again in the faith, uh, in the Christian faith, it's just the starting point. It's just the very beginning. And here's the the punchline of the whole message. Um, If you tune me out after this, I hope you won't. But if you do, you'll have it after this sentence, okay? The moment you get saved, the moment you confess your faith in Jesus and you ask him to forgive you of your sins, you in that moment are saved. That's what we call that. That's what the Bible calls that. But in that moment, your Christian life has just begun. So in that moment, the statement, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, is true. Because you were just a sinner moments before, and now you have been saved by grace. But that is just the very beginning. And you have all the rest of your life ahead of you. And so if you fast forward a year, five years, 20, 30 years down the road, to look, down, to look at your life and say, you know what? I got saved 30 years ago, and I'm just a sinner saved by grace. There is a whole lifetime of redemption that the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life and in my life. And the Bible doesn't refer to those who've been saved as sinners saved by grace. The Bible calls us saints, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are no longer marked by our sinfulness once we trust in Jesus, we are marked by his righteousness that he has covered over us. Now, it's something we have to grow in, and that's what the rest of the sermon is going to be explaining. But we no longer identify as Christians as sinners. Sin continues to be a struggle in our life. It continues to be something we war against. But it is no longer our core identity. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Christ gives us a new identity 
for the rest of our lives and for the rest of eternity. So that's the whole message. Thank you for coming. You know, happy Mother's Day. No. So let's jump in. So this message, we're going we're gonna to go fast and then we're going to speed up. So I hope you just can hang in there with me. If you're a note taker, I hope you scribble. Um, if you're not a note taker, this will be a great message to start in because we're going to cover a, a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Um, so the misconception we're addressing today is that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. So as a starting point for where to go with this, um, let's just briefly review all that Christ accomplished for us on the cross, okay? Um, so that would be a whole sermon series in itself. We're just going to blaze through it super fast. But what all did Christ accomplish for us on the cross? Well, in a word, it's our salvation. Y'all say salvation. salvation. So salvation we think of often as a momentary experience, that moment that I confessed Christ, that moment that I asked him to save me of my sin. And salvation is that. It is a momentary single experience or season. Some people go through a season. But that's not all it is. Salvation is also a lifelong process of being set free from our sin and of being more and more and more filled with the holiness, the goodness, the purpose of God for our life. So I want to show you a picture of the salvation life that Christ Christ bought for us. Um, This isn't, this is just something I made to help me visualize what the Christian life can look like, okay? Um, So first, we're born. Here on the far left, we experience birth, of course, and then towards the end of our lives, um, we will all experience a, a human, a bodily, an earthly death. And then there in the middle... We can reach this point in life where we have a conversion. Somebody say conversion. Conversion just is a big churchy word that just means change. I change. So I'm converting from one thing to another. So in this case, I'm converting from, uh, you know, when we are born, we're born into sin and separation from God. And so at this point of conversion, what we choose to do is to change from just living contentedly in our sin and separation from God, and we convert, we change to trusting in Jesus to save us from our sin um, and to bring us closeness with God and intimacy with God. So there's a change that happens. Um, I am changed. My mind is changed. My heart is changed. My direction is changed. So that's what this moment of conversion is. There's another churchy word that we use around conversion called repentance. And repentance just means to turn. So convert means change, repent means turn. So repentance is I was walking towards and I was devoted to a life of sin and now I've turned, I've turned my back on, literally my back on a life of sinning and living for sin and being dominated by sin. And I've now turned to now being devoted to and living for and pursuing Jesus. Now, we know it's not a perfect road. Sometimes I'm doing this, right? I'm moving towards sin, but I'm, I'm focusing on Jesus, and that's the way I want to go. And by the grace of God and with the Holy Spirit's help, I can move forward in that direction. But in that moment, that's what's happening at conversion and repentance. We're turned, we're changed, we're transformed in that moment. Um, I mentioned this earlier. Jesus also referred to this moment as um, being born again. So in John chapter 3, he's talking to a a Pharisee, a religious expert named Nicodemus, and Jesus is explaining to this religious expert, he said, if you want to have eternal life, you've got to be born again. Well, this was a brand new phrase. No one had ever heard it before. And Nicodemus wisely is like, I'm here. I've already been born. How can I be born again? And Jesus clarifies and he says, no, 
You must be born from above. You must be born of the Spirit, capital S, meaning you must be born of the Spirit of God living within you. Or another way to say it is, you must have the Spirit of God born in you to give you new life. And our big churchy word for this experience is called regeneration. It just means to come back to life. It means spiritually you were dead, but now at this moment the Spirit of God has come into you and he is now giving you new life. You have been regenerated. You are coming back to life spiritually. And so at our moment of conversion, when we repent of our sin, when we turn from disbelief in Jesus towards trusting in him as our Savior, we are born again. We experience new life. The Spirit is now living within us and giving life to our life. So that's regeneration. And then there's one other thing that happens at this moment. Another big churchy word that's going to appear at the top. Justification. Somebody say justification. This is our big churchy word that just means forgiven and set free from sin. It means we were covered in shame, we were covered in guilt, but now we're covered in the blood of Jesus, and he sets us free from that shame and guilt. We're no longer guilty for our sin because Jesus accepted our guilt in our place and, and traded with us, he gave us his righteousness. And so uh, a little mnemonic device to remember this one, justified, I've been justified, it's justified, never sinned. Okay, you may have heard that before. It's because Jesus trades with us. He trades his righteousness. He accepts our sin. He dies on the cross with it. It dies with him. And we're no longer bearing the burden of the guilt and shame of our sin. And so now, at this moment in our lives, it is just as if we'd never sinned. He cleanses us. He, he heals us. He forgived us, forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. It's just as if I'd never sinned because of Jesus. Okay, And then if you fast forward to death, someday we'll all pass away on this earth and we will pass into eternity to be present with God and we will live in the fullness of the salvation life that he bought for us on the cross. He will share his glory with us and we will be physically in his presence at all times and he in ours. And this stage of salvation that will last us for the rest of eternity is known as glorification. So that's just a snapshot. That was probably five sermons smashed into five minutes. Um, But are you with me so far? Okay, this picture of the salvation life that Jesus bought for us. Okay, so here we are in this in-between time. All right? And let me pause here and say, if you're in the room and you would say, you know what, I'm I'm not over on the right side of that line quite yet. Um... I'm still, I'm still over on this side. I, I haven't trusted in Jesus as my Savior. I've never turned away from sin. Um, this is new information. Um, I haven't made the decision you're talking about. Um, today can be the day that you make that decision. Um, you don't have to wait. Um, it's something you can do even right now as I speak. <laughs> you can say, Jesus, I, I do believe you've set me free. I do believe you died for me. I do believe the love of God came down through you and is now impacting my life. And, and I want that. I want to be changed. I want to be converted. I want to be born again. I want to pursue a life that's leading me towards glory and heaven in your presence forever. So you can do that today. If you're in the room and you're on the right side of that line, 
Um, I, I put that little line there to show that there's kind of a breaking point, that sin no longer has the control and the dominance in our lives. It no longer marks our lives as our defining identity. So if you're living on the right-hand side of that line, that's where you are today. That's where I am today. I'm on the right-hand side of that line. So what's going on in the life of a Christian between that moment of conversion and regeneration when we're justified by Jesus, but before we die? What's happening? What's happening in the life of the Spirit, our salvation life? Some days in that zone, it's so hard. Um, It can be hard living for Jesus. (laughs) Um, It can be hard struggling with our sin desires and our temptations. Other days, living in that zone, it's amazing. It's more amazing than we could possibly imagine. Um, We hear a song, someone prays for us, we receive a note, someone hugs us at just the right time. Um, In a moment of pain or disappointment, the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. A Bible verse just kind of floats into our mind. It can be amazing following Jesus. But what's happening, and why, why does it feel like that? We go back and forth. It's hard. It's wonderful. It's challenging. It's amazing. It's frustrating. It's awesome. What's happening in the life of a Christian as we work and wait and live our lives on this side of new birth, but on this side of heaven? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul described it like this. He said, we are working out our salvation. And then he uses an interesting phrase. He says, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And if you look at different translations of that, some say with seriousness, some say with deep reverence, some say with gravity. The idea is that what's happened in our lives from, the, from this breaking point with sin, when we trust in Jesus... Serious spiritual business is taking place in our lives, okay? The sin nature is dying, and it doesn't die out easily. The old claims that that death and hell had on our souls have been broken, and they don't like to let go. (laughs) I don't know if any of you have cats or have been around a cat, Um, but if you're ever trying to, like, if you're holding a cat and, like, you're trying to drop it or a cat's on something and you're trying to pull it away... It does this little thing with its claws where it's like, shink, you know, and, and it, just, it just clings on to whatever it can, skin, shirt, jeans, whatever it can, on its way out. And I think that's what happens in the life of a Christian with, with death and with the claim that hell once had on us. Its power is broken. It no longer owns us. And it's on the way out, but it likes to dig its claws in as it's being pulled away. And it hurts. And it's hard. Our old weaknesses to temptation, they don't just vanish and evaporate. They don't like to go out without a fight. But the good news is, they will go out. (laughs) They will be defeated. We win. That's the end of the story. We have victory. If we will continue to lean on Jesus, if we will continue to trust him with every area of our lives, just like we did at that initial moment of salvation when we were first converted and justified, if we will continue to surrender to and cooperate with his spirit that has now been born into our lives, then this is what God says he'll do in us. He will graciously enable us to work out our salvation. He will cause us to be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. I love this one, Romans 8.11. If you get a chance to do a Bible study on one verse this week, I hope it'll be Romans 8.11. It says that he will give life and meaning and purpose and victory to what? To our mortal life, to our earthly existence. 
Not just someday when we get to heaven, not just someday when we go to glory. He will give purpose and meaning and life and vitality to our earthly lives right now. He will cause us to be transformed from glory into ever-increasing glory. And he will help us to have both of our will and our conduct transformed according to his good will and good purpose. He has so much he wants to do in us, so much he wants to accomplish in our lives from the point of our salvation and before we pass away into eternity. We Christians have one more big churchy word for all of this, this process of continually dying to sin and being, being made more and more fully alive in the spirit of growing in holiness and victory both on the inside and on the outside as lovers of God and followers of Jesus. This, it's a continual process that's taking place in the life of a Christian, um, and it's known as sanctification. Somebody say sanctification. All right, big churchy word, big Christian word. Let me define this word for you. What is sanctification? What is going on in the life of a Christ follower between new birth and death? Well, there are actually two categories of things happening. You'll see the the red area on my little graph here shrinking, the white area getting bigger and bigger. So two things are happening simultaneously. Um, And I'm going to say this multiple different ways, but I'm, I'm essentially saying the same thing. I just like to use lots of words to help us get the grasp of what all is going on. So the power of sin is waning, it's growing smaller, and the power of holiness in our lives is getting bigger and bigger. The sin nature in our lives is dying off, okay? And and the spirit of, of fullness, of adoption, of belovedness, our new identity in Christ is growing and growing stronger throughout our lives. Our bondage to sin is being broken down and shattered And our freedom in Christ is growing and growing and growing in new strength. So these two things are happening simultaneously. Um, Romans chapter 6 describes it this way. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body, your whole life, everything about you, as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live, you now live, in the freedom of God's grace. On the chart, I've chosen to represent our our sinfulness by the color red and our growing likeness to Christ by the color white. These are the colors that the Bible uses in Isaiah 1, 18. It says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Though Though they are as red as crimson, they shall become white like wool. And so this white line here at this moment of conversion and regeneration, justification, that that powerful, significant salvation moment in our lives, it shows that there is a clear breaking point in the power of sin over us. As the believer submits their lives to the Spirit, um, and the Spirit is working within us to bring more and more redemption, more and more strength, set us more and more and more free in Jesus. So here at, at this point... Of, of trusting in Jesus as Savior, um, the believer still has a long way to go to be made like Christ. 
And that's what's happening all throughout the rest of our lives. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, is any, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old things are passing away. They're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And new things are coming and growing and maturing. Colossians 3.10 says it this way, We once only had a sin nature. That's all we had was a sin nature. But now, because of Jesus and because our decision to put our faith in him alone for salvation, we've been given a new nature. One that is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of Christ. So from this moment of of conversion and justification, we can boldly proclaim what Galatians 2.20 says. I love this verse. I've been crucified with Christ. And now it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. I've been born again. I've been regenerated. The Spirit of God now lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, in the flesh, that means right now, not someday, not just in heaven, but right now, the life that I now live in the body, that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's one more short, simple little verse in the Bible that captures this sanctification process and what's going on in the life of the believer. It's John chapter 3, verse 30. And I actually want to read it to you in multiple different translations, just so you can hear, just so you can verbally hear this picture of what's happening in the life of a believer. So John 3.30 says, He must become greater, and I must become less. He must increase. And I must decrease. He must grow and I must diminish. He must become increasingly more and I must become decreasingly less. He must grow more prominent and I, my sin nature, must grow less so. So what is sanctification? It is the cooperative working between you and the Holy Spirit or me and the Holy Spirit within me where the power of sin is diminishing in our lives unto death. And the power of the Spirit is flourishing in our lives into abundance. That's sanctification. It's hard work, but it's what we were made for. We were made to be whole like Jesus. We were made to be holy like Jesus. And it doesn't happen overnight. But it can happen, and we can progress forward as we cooperate with the Spirit of God living within us. Okay, so does anybody remember the hashtag we're addressing? What's the misconception for today's message? I'm just a sinner saved by grace, right? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now remember, every misconception is based on a truth, or has a little bit of truth in it. So what's the truth of this misconception? Well, the truth is... We were sinners, and we have been saved by grace. The misconception is the word, which word? Just. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. As if that's all we could ever aspire to. As if that's the best we could hope for in this Christian life. As if our greatest hope is just to be snatched, rescued from the jaws of death, and then just look forward to heaven someday. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, if that misconception were true, then this is what the Christian life would look like. Right? So we're born. We're born into sin and separation from God. 
Okay? At some point in our lives, we choose to trust in Jesus alone as our Savior. It's just as if we'd never sinned. He forgives us of our sin. We're born again. We're saved. And then that's kind of it. And years or decades go by, and then we die. And if that were the Bible's view of the Christian life, then both hashtags would be true. I'm just a sinner saved by grace who is hashtag waiting on heaven. That would be it. And sadly, that's what a lot of the world thinks of us. That's what a lot of the world thinks of Christianity. And even worse, that's what a lot of Christians think of themselves. You know, I trusted in Jesus when I was a child. Uh, I walked an aisle, vacation Bible school. I prayed a prayer. Um, But not much is different. I'm going to heaven someday. I believe in Jesus. But my life doesn't look or smell or sound or seem any different. And I don't know how it could, because sin is still battling with me. I'm still tempted. I still have hardships. So, you know what? I'm resigned. I'm just a sinner saved by grace who's waiting on heaven. If that's all there was to the Christian life, then, then getting saved and then eventually dying would be all we'd have to look forward to. It'd be all we have to celebrate. <laughs> It'd be all we had to sing for. It'd be all we have to share with others who don't know Jesus. I found these bumper stickers this week. You may have seen some of these. Sinner Saved by Grace, a couple of different designs. Um, That statement is true, but it's incomplete, and there's a massive difference. Because if you follow this line of thinking out to its logical conclusion, you reach a point that's very unbiblical. And to demonstrate this, when I was looking for these bumper stickers, I actually saw a t-shirt design that sort of exposes the misconception here. The t-shirt says, I'm a wretched, black-hearted sinner saved by grace. You know, if we follow this line of thinking out to its logical conclusion, where we land is, I'm despicable, unlovely, wretched, awful, filthy, black-hearted, Sinners saved by grace. Wow, I didn't, my heart is pounding as I say those words. I wasn't anticipating this. Because that is not what Jesus died to make you. And that is not the, the identity that God's word, through many pages and through 1,600 years of being written and 3,000 years of being preserved for us to have in our hands, So that you could aspire to as to be a filthy, rotten, no good, unloving, unlovely sinner saved by grace. I've felt that way before. I don't know if you've felt that way before. It's a pretty hopeless feeling. I mean, I'm glad I'm going to heaven. But if that's all Jesus saved me to be, then it's a pretty miserable life. I think he saved us to be so much more. Um, Let's entertain this misconception for just one moment. Let's assume that the sinner saved by grace misconception were true. And that's all there was to the salvation life. That's all we could look forward to. That's all we could hope for. Well, 
Paul was a man inspired by God to write some of our New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul described this form of salvation. This is a form of salvation. There are people who believe this way, live this way, and they are saved. But he described this form of salvation. I'll call it a justified only. All they've experienced is justification, forgiveness of sins. That's it. Paul described this justified only salvation as being like a person who is snatched from a burning house. So imagine for me with a moment a person who's been rescued out of a burning building, okay? The backs of their clothes have burned off. The skin on their backs is singed by the flames. I mean, they were so close to destruction, so close to death. At the last possible moment, the firemen came in, rescued them, snatched them from that. How close to hell is a person from just being only justified? By being justified only. And if this sounds like strong language, that's because it is. God loves us so much that sometimes in his word, he uses strong language and strong metaphors because he is desperate to see us choose a life apart from this and to trust in him and to journey forward with him. He is desperate to see humanity snatched from the jaws of death and destruction. He doesn't want that for us. And so sometimes he uses strong language. This is his promise in 1 John 1, 9. He promises if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's justification. And, there's a critical and here, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Rachel, if you'll go to the next slide. Um, I want you to see the justification in this verse and the sanctification in this verse. That he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. But that's not all he wants to do. He also wants to work in us and with us and through us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's a process that takes a long time. Because <laughs> I don't work with him all the time. Sometimes I actively fight against that process. And sometimes I cooperate. He wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One famous theologian from about 300 years ago, he put it this way. He said, Christ did not come to save us in our sin. He didn't come to save you and me in our sin. He came to save us from our sin, to set us free from it, to bring us to heaven with holiness. So at this time, I'll ask our communion servers to come forward. We're going to share in communion together this morning. I'll ask our um, altar prayer team to come forward. And uh, if you guys will go ahead and share in communion together while I give these next instructions. As they come forward and as they prepare for us, I would just ask you to consider, we'll have the chart back up here on the screen. Where are you on this chart? Where are you in the life of salvation that Christ bought for you? We're all up there, okay? We're all living between birth and death. And if you would say, I'm on the left. I, I, don't, I haven't trusted in Jesus. I'm still considering all this Christianity stuff. I haven't been, I haven't asked for forgiveness of my sins. That's something you can do today if you want to. If you would say, I've made that decision, I've made that commitment, I trust that Jesus has saved me, I know he's forgiven me of my sins, but 
honestly, not much progress has been made in my Christian life, then you can take forward steps today into the sanctification process, the the setting free from sin and the growing in wholeness and holiness in God that he wants for you. And maybe you would say, you know what, I love God, and I follow Jesus, and I've been doing so for decades. But I know he's got more to do in my life. You're right. He has much more he wants to do in all of our lives. The worship team's going to lead us in a closing song. Um, the communion elements will be here. We have people who are trained and prepared and ready to pray with you. Um, you're all invited to come. You're all invited to come and uh, partake of communion together. Um, if you need a moment of prayer alone or with someone, um, these altars are available for that, or you can do it right there in your seat. Um, we have prayer people who would love to listen and would love to pray together with you, just like we did earlier for our moms. So this morning, we're all invited to come forward together and share in communion. And as we do, we remember how the body of Christ was broken so that we could receive freedom and wholeness and healing. We remember how his perfect blood was shed, not just to forgive us of our sins and to justify us, but also to break the power of sin in our lives and to set us on our course where it no longer has to control us and we no longer have to act in response to it. We are not only covered and, set in a, and, and forgiven, we're also set free from sin's tyranny in our lives. So your invitation as you're ready is to come forward, receive communion, pray if you wish, join in with the song. Let the Spirit do His work in your, in your heart and your life this morning that He's calling you to. I'll ask everyone to stand so that way there's ease of movement. But let's all join together in response to what God is saying to us this morning.